I'm Sandra Hayes Buckley and you are listening to the Mind Your Mind podcast, a podcast that delves into what minding your mind means to different people, what self-care looks like in their lives and why minding their minds is so important to them. I hope you enjoy. This episode of the Mind Your Mind podcast is sponsored by Rainbow Crescent. Rainbow Crescent is an online shop specialising in uplifting products with the aim of putting a smile on people's faces. Check it out at www.rainbowcrescent.ie. Before we get stuck into this week's episode, I am absolutely delighted to announce that there will be a live recording of the Mind Your Mind podcast on Thursday, October 5th at 7pm in Middleton Park Hotel. On the evening, I will be joined by a fantastic panel of guests, including health psychologist Aideen Stack, teacher, author and founder of the Hope to Cope charity, Catherine Dolphin Griffin, and registered intellectual disability nurse and CBT psychotherapist, Emily Murphy. Tickets are on sale now over on www.rainbowcrescent.ie and I can't wait to see you there. On this week's episode, I am joined by Anne Hessman. Anne is a life coach and through her business, Epiphany Coaching, she empowers and supports parents of neurodivergent children. During our chat, we discussed Anne's own journey with wellness, her experience of burnout, and why it's so important to her to help fellow parents of neurodivergent children. Anne, you are so welcome to the Mind Your Mind podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Sandra. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. So for any of our listeners who are tuning in who are not familiar with yourself, could you give us a brief introduction into who you are and what you're all about? So my name is Anne Hessman and I am the founder of Epiphany Coaching. Um, and what Epiphany Coaching does is, and what the main vision for Epiphany Coaching is, is to support and empower parents of autistic and neurodivergent children to advocate for themselves through self-love, connection, community, good, healthy habits. Um, we spend, as, as autism parents, we spend so much time advocating for our children, advocating for various organizations, advocating for various causes, but ourselves and our needs and our well-being go to the bottom of the list so many times. And I, I know this because I am living this life. But I also know that, you know, that's how autism parents become depleted and we give so easily to others and other organizations and to our children, number one, which is 100 percent normal. But we need to we need to advocate for ourselves as well. And so that is my role to support and empower parents that I work with um, to advocate for themselves and to learn and to apply and intentionally apply um, happy habits, healthy habits, um, and wellness and self-love into their daily lives. Fantastic. And I know you touched on it there that you are living this life yourself. And I suppose, is that why it's so important to you to help other people in looking after their own mental well-being? And why is it so important to you as well, personally, to look after your own mental well-being? So interestingly, interesting question, but I suppose, yes, I am living the life of an autism mom. So I am. I have an autistic son. He is six and a half years old. Um, but my journey to wellness um, has gone back way, 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 way before I was ever an autism mom. Um, and I suppose in coaching, um, there's all, you know, it always starts with the why. You know, it always starts with the why. Why are you doing this? You know, why? What is your reason? So that you can bring about your goal, you know, can set your goals and bring about your action steps. But I, uh, I suppose my why are my children. 
in general. Okay, and this became apparent when I had my daughter back in 2013, um, and I just struggled I like you know it's not unusual for somebody to say oh, I struggled so much when I had my first baby and I really did struggle but looking back now it was like with you know with my with the self-awareness and the the inner work that I have been doing I, I I know now that like as I became a mother like my inner child started to scream mind me help me nurture me you know, that's, that's what was, that was calling the whole time while I was there. When I was given this little tiny little creature into my arms that I was besotted with, but I had to mind her all of the time. And I hadn't a clue how to mind me. I hadn't a clue how to mind me. And so my why was her. And that was when I initially started to reach out for a little bit of help through therapy. Um, now, I wouldn't, I mean, I don't know. I was never diagnosed with postnatal depression or anything like that. But... I I remember you know you know working with the therapist and and her talking about the whole notion of you know mindfulness and being in the present and and you know she used to say to me like you know try and you know look at your daughter and say you know I'm gonna you know I'm gonna look at her today and I'm gonna like remember this moment for the rest of my life you know I'm gonna pay such particular intentional attention to her that I'm gonna remember this moment for the rest of my life. I did do that and I was on maternity leave with her and I settled into it eventually and loved it and when she was 10 months old I went back to work I was lucky enough that I could you know take that time with her but you know I just slotted back into old habits again and my old habits are I suppose like just get on with it that was my mantra to myself you know I had myself kind of painted as this you know this practical person this common sense this hard worker this go 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 you know driven all of the time um and while there is a huge part of me that is like that the piece that was missing there was self-compassion and so I was resisting what I now know is my authentic self you know I was resisting that for years and years and years and pushing on and pushing on and pushing on and just being depleted and to the point of like my inner critic was screaming at me all the time you know you know like I was pushing on to try and be try and be you know try and be the best try and be the, the perfect mom the perfect teacher the you know the great friend the wonderful daughter all of these things and I felt I was failing at all of them I was just telling myself I was failing at all of them all of the time again the self-compassion piece was lost there so it was I had no clue about it at all I had no self-awareness about it at all um and so roll on 2016, like I've been teaching now full time between come back to work with my daughter and, and 2016. Um, and uh, I found out I was pregnant again. And uh, about two months into that pregnancy, uh, we got another curveball and it was a twin pregnancy. Amazing, wonderful news. But that's not always the reaction you get from people when there's a twin pregnancy involved. We had, you don't get the, oh my goodness, that's amazing, congratulations. You get, oh, 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 wow. Okay, oh Jesus, God, rather you than me. We had phrases like, rather you than me. We had uh, one particular person say to us, what are you gonna do? You know? <laughs> so now, like now, looking back at all that, that is really funny. And also like, you know, like now I just wouldn't even, it wouldn't come on my radar, you know? but. Like then I was like, 
you know, my defenses got higher and higher and higher and my whole self was clenched and the inner critic was screaming at me, you know. But my outward facade is, you know, don't feel sorry for me. I can do this. I am, you know, I can do this. And the walls, the defensive walls were really, really high. So I had already experienced one complete and utter burnout, shall we say, or one, you know, I don't want to say a breakdown when my daughter was born, but, you know, it certainly was a breaking down of a kind. Mm -hmm. Roll on, my twin, my twin boys are born in January of 2017. And, you know, we were, I had reached out, you know, to the mental health midwife in the hospital when I was pregnant with the, with the boys. And um, I had like, I got a lot of support around that. So I did um, around kind of the anxiety of going from one to three children, the birth, all of that kind of stuff. And thankfully everything was so straightforward and so streamlined. Um, although back then I, you know, I really took it for granted and in like on reflection because I never practiced gratitude then. So I just was like, yeah, got that done. Tick another job. You know, they're born, got through the birth, all good, you know? So anyway, in we went into our little bubble of the five of us and everything was going really, really well, you know, like as well as it can with three children under four, you know, <laughs> but for, for three weeks, we were in our little bubble we were feeding we were bathing we were encouraging our daughter to hold them all the nice stuff people coming to visit you know all the, the nice stuff and I was really trying to be intentional to embrace all of that at the time because I didn't embrace it with my with my daughter you know so anyway that was that was all good and um, my boys were three weeks old and um, my father died really suddenly and uh, to add kind of a complication to that we hadn't had the best relationship for a few years before that so all of a sudden the rug of comfort was pulled out from underneath me and I was, you know, I had to go back into my family of origin again, go, go to the funeral, all of that, whilst managing, you know, the, 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 the three children under four. But really, again, looking back on reflection, I didn't deal with that grief because I, for a long, long time, because I just threw myself back into motherhood again. I threw myself back into, you know, keep going, don't feel sorry for me. I can do this. Um, the walls were up high. Um, you know, that's, you know, I won't let anyone see a weakness. That's the way, that's that's the way my mind was, you know. And that that wasn't making me, that was feeding into my self-worth the way I was at the time, you know. But all the while, you're doing it wrong, they're not sleeping. This, you know, one of them didn't like to feed, one of them struggled with wind, you know, all of these kind of things, you know, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong. That was the, the inner critic all of the time. So I suppose fast forward then to 2019 and in the, in the meantime, then we had to, we had to move house, you know, get, get a bigger house, more kids, bigger house. Um, so we had my dad died in 2017 and the boys were born. 2018 was the year of the house, the houses we had to rent and buy and sell and all sorts. And then 2019 then, I remember starting 2019 and saying no big life decisions in 2019, but it didn't really go like that because in 2019 I ended up, um, taking a secondment to another school um, to, to job share. Mm -hmm. And um, I was doing it again for my family because I wanted to continue to job share. I didn't want to work full time. But by the time September 2019 rolled around, I, I had hit the ultimate, the ultimate burnout. Mm -hmm. But I, again, I resisted it, resisted it the whole time. Um, and so I was, you know, massive anxiety, not sleeping, like, like, constantly criticizing myself to the point of I had convinced myself I was invisible like actually 
convinced myself I was invisible. Walking around my new school, my new place of employment, I, I was convinced that neither children nor other teachers saw me. And I really, really genuinely believed that. So, I, you know, I was not in a good, I was not in a good place. Mm -hmm. So COVID actually and lockdown came at quite a good time, you know, in the sense of I, I was so burnt out from the rat race. You know, I was so burnt out from the, the mornings, getting the kids out, you know, all of these things um, that everything slowed down. And I was like, this is amazing we're all at home together we can just we can just be we can all just be and I, I like there was sides of lockdown that really 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 suited me you know the the slower pace and I became very aware that god I don't like living this fast life at all you know I really don't it's really feeding into my anxieties um so my business is called epiphany coaching and because it's called that because I would say I have had three very significant epiphanies over the last few years. And that, you know, that is, that's kind of the impetus for it, you know. Um, so during lockdown, it kind of became apparent that, you know, my son had, he always kind of knew he was, I say, different in inverted commas to, to my other my other two children. Um, but, you know, I would have always put it down to like, you know, he's you know he's like one side of the family and they're like the other side of the family you know or like you know he looks like one side of the family and you know they look like the other side of the family or you know he's quieter and they're louder and you know all of that kind of stuff yeah. um and you know and I'd be a big believer in like you know child-led you know he didn't walk until he was like nearly 20 months but that's okay you know that's yeah. totally fine he didn't toilet train you know until nearly four that's okay I'd be a big believer in just letting them lead like that but yeah. it's when you know um, you know, say things like we were, we would be out the back during that lockdown in the really fine weather, and we'd be playing with water, and he would like become so distressed, like to the point. But it's not like oh, I don't want to play with that. It to the point of this was this was a sensory nightmare for him. Mm -hmm. And we had so many of those incidences during lockdown: play-doh, baking, um, you know, any kind of messy play, water play. He just it was a sensory overload for him sensory nightmare and um, he just really didn't like it coupled with the fact that like he had huge issues with like tags on his clothes putting on and off his clothes his socks hated wearing socks all of this kind of stuff so all of these things now bearing in mind I'm a teacher for the last 19 years seven of those years as a special educational teacher so I work a lot with children autistic children children with sensory sensory processing challenges so with my teacher hat on I'm going red flags, red flags, red flags everywhere with my parent hat on and going, no, we'll, we'll just keep, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll keep him exposed to this environment and we'll keep him, you know, mm -hmm. we'll, you know, he'll make progress and look at the, you know, you know, three months ago, he wasn't able to do this, but now he's able to do it. And, you know, keeping the hope, the eternal hope yeah. alive, you know, I suppose the acceptance issue there or the acceptance piece around that. So anyway, he, he began school in, in that, in the following September and he, you know, I mean, it was very quickly flagged that, you know, once he went in among his peers of that age and the teachers were very, very quick and very supportive and very, um, you know, very helpful with all, you know, all that kind of needed to be said and needed to be done. Yeah. Um, but like, again, I was, I was filled with fear and um, 
just filled with fear about the whole thing. You know, like, what will people say? What will people think? I'm the teacher. With, I'm the special ed teacher with the autistic son. Like, no. So I, you know, these are all my fears and limiting beliefs now. And I, um, I suppose, like, and I teach in the school that he's going to as well. Okay. So I had a huge stigma around that in my head. You know, like my colleagues, oh my God, I'm going to be judged. These are all my inner critic screaming yeah. at me the whole time, you know. Um, and I suppose push through, push through, push through. So by the time the end of 2021 rolled around, I, I had to do something. So I had, and I suppose my first epiphany, my first epiphany was that I needed to, I needed to accept, just accept what was happening for what it was. Mm-hmm. And I, I can literally remember the day this happened. Okay. So we were, we had uh, gone a little holiday down to Galway and we were all just kind of hanging out in the house. And my son was, he was just playing away, doing all, like he was stimming and he was so happy and he was out and he was, you know, running around in circles and, and playing some imaginary game at the back himself. And I, I, I had this moment of like pure joy, just watching him, like pure mm-hmm. joy watching him. And I like, you know, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, these things of like, oh, joy watching our kids. But this came from such a place of feeling. Mm. And, oh my God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what label anybody ever puts on him. Like, he, he is himself. He is himself. Mm-hmm. He's, he's quirky, funny, and he is so funny. He, he's like warm and gentle and kind, and he's so sensitive. But he is, he is him. He is himself, my son, our son. And it, lit, it, was, it was like something lifted from me, like a concrete block was lifted off my shoulders. God. It, it, was, it was an actual epiphany. Like if you could have, you know, that, that cartoon moment of the light bulb, the eureka oh. going off of your head. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you know, like, like in a cartoon, that's what it felt like. I remember saying to my husband, sure, what the hell? Like, but we need to get the supports in place for him. And that's where we had to start advocating for him then. Now, bear in mind as well before that, I had him in the system with my teacher hat on because I was having him assessed for everything but autism. Does that make sense? You know, we had sent him to play therapy. We had gone to occupational therapy. We had gone down the road of all of these things, you know, because, you know, I thought this is what was going to help him. So Mm -hmm. anyway, that was epiphany number one, the acceptance piece around my son um, and autism. And once that happened, you know, it was like, you know, we talk about the flow, like not forcing Mm -hmm. things letting things flow in life and that has been a game changer for me um because i have been that ultimate control freak i have been that control keep everything under a tight rein mm-hmm. and you know control it control it manage this situation this situation this situation and that, you know that stands to us very well in terms of stands to me very well in terms of you know how i run my house how i how i, how I do my job how i teach how i you know, like make it happen that there's a di- there's, I go to work and then there's a dinner on the table and everyone has to be out the door by five o'clock for activities. You know, that stands to me very well in that respect. But controlling the uncontrollables, that's mm-hmm. not possible. That's not possible. And so the epiphany of just letting that go and accepting, that was just, that was just magic. It was absolute magic. So that was definitely 
the first the first of the three epiphanies that happened to me and you know and then we were able to then like things started to flow then we were able to you know got in touch with an amazing psychologist who assessed him who was able to give us the report that we were able to put the, the supports in place supports in place in school we then became so lucky to become part of an amazing autism community called little seeds through the arts club um and that has been an absolute game changer for my son who gets to play and engage with other neurodivergent children every single week and then for us as parents we're connecting with other neurodivergent parents every single week and that's where I've seen the need as well for mm -hmm. you know through through that first-hand experience of, of speaking to parents that's where I've seen the need for we're constantly advocating for our children so like just to give you like a little flavor of how we advocate for our children you know like I don't want to say, you know, neurotypical children or typical parenting is absolutely challenging. I have two neurotypical children. I know the, the big feelings that come with that. I know the, the organizing that comes with that. I know the, the, the busyness that comes with that. Mm -hmm. Neurodivergent parenting is, is a whole other level. It is next level. So it is. It is. It's, there's, high need, there's high care needs. There is staying ahead of them all the time to make sure that they stay regulated, that they stay safe, that they stay feeling, you know, safe and happy. And I suppose even just to give you a flavor of like, you know, a more, a typical morning in the house is that, you know, my two neurotypical children get up, have the breakfast, get dressed for school. You know, there's plenty of, you know, he did this and she did that. There's plenty of that kind of carry on going on, but there's, there, they can do it. Mm -hmm. My neurodivergent son, needs to be woken up you know probably an hour earlier than them all right okay he needs to he, he what we would call like hypo arousal so it's like he's zoned out shut down it takes him ages to come to life when he's when he um when he when he wakes up mm -hmm. so he comes down the stairs or we might sometimes often have to carry him down the stairs on a particular you know on a particularly mm -hmm. challenging morning for him he might need to sit under the weighted blanket for some sensory input he might need deep pressure massage on his legs on his arms on his head um for for um, a few minutes um he might need a cold he will need a cold drink and he'll need something crunchy in his hand while he's having this massage or he's under the weighted blanket and this slowly but surely brings him brings him to life Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, bearing in mind, my husband and I are getting out the door to work. Our other two children are saying, you know, where's my football boots? I've swimming today. Mom, will you do my hair? Where's this? Have you seen my uniform? You know, the, 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 this is, this is, this is a whole other level of needs when it comes mm -hmm. to parenting. So it is. So by the time, like I work part-time, by the time sometimes on my off days or my in days, when I go, when I, when the children are gone to school, like, just absolutely. I, I just, I realized sometimes I was realizing that I hadn't even taken a breath, like literally mm -hmm. hadn't exhaled all morning. And then you're supposed to go in and do your job or do whatever it is, you know, you're doing at home, you know, on, on my off days. So that was, that was kind of the, you know, that's the impetus as well for helping parents because every neurodivergent parent has a challenging morning. So they do, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we see it as our normal. We have accepted this as our normal. Okay, because it is our normal, it's our day-to-day -day life. But in neurotypical households where there's no additional needs in place, yes, there's loads of challenges, but mm. you don't have to say, right, I need to wake him up now, 
we need to, okay, if we don't wake him up now, we'll be out of time. Um, you know, I was speaking to a father recently who hail, rain or shine, goes out on the trampoline with his son every single morning for about 10, 15 minutes to give him that and bounces with him to give him that sensory input. He obviously needs the attachment that he has to be with his dad. He doesn't feel safe to do it alone. So his dad goes out and does that with him before he leaves for work. Mm-hmm. That dad might have spent another 15 minutes of sleep. He might have had a chance to have a shower. He might have had a chance to have a cup of tea in peace. But he, do- he doesn't. He gives to his son before he goes out. So we're giving, 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 giving constantly. So we are. We're also like, the, the amount of, you know, we are filling out forms. I think it's so important to say this, that like parents of autistic children, autism is a hidden disability, okay? And so because of that, we're not immediately entitled to certain things. So even though we are living the lives of carers, so we are. And so we are, we are nearly, we're nearly made to go on bended knee sometimes for what, mm-hmm. what is our most basic of entitlements. And there are forms that we need to fill in where they are absolutely harrowing. Nobody wants to talk about their children's failures or hardships. Nobody wants to see their children finding things hard. And yet mm-hmm. we have to write out reams and reams and reams in these forms about your child's worst day. I mean, I say that with inverted commas, uh, your child's worst day. We have to write out reams and reams and reams of a family impact statement, how this is negatively affecting our family, a daily diary of all the, the challenges and, mm-hmm. and hardships that our children go through both at home and in school to get the most basic of entitlements. So these are all, and we're advocating for our children again and again and again. Mm-hmm. My kids go to school in the morning and I immediately go to my phone and I say, right, I need to chase up that OT. I need to chase up that speech and language report. I need to contact, you know, the doctor about X, Y, and Z. Constantly, mm-hmm. there's constantly a list of phone calls and emails to be sent based on our child. Does that make sense? And their entitlements or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And we are very lucky, you know, you know, anyone who, has had a diagnosis of autism for their child or you know ADHD, ADD, anything that is neurodiverse. You know, we are lucky to get a, a set of recommendations on those reports of things that our children need. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So supports in schools, supports from outside agencies, all of that. Nowhere on any report, and we have a few reports now from various psychologists, from OTs, etc. This is my own personal experience. Nowhere on any of those reports does it ever say, you know, um, you know, supports for parents, recommendations for parents. You know, if you are finding this challenging, how is your well-being and your mental health? Nowhere. It's never written anywhere. So it's not. It's not written on any of our reports anyway. So, you know, who is going to advocate advocate for the parents? So this, when when life coaching became, you know, apparent for me and mm-hmm. through the process of, you know, through working through the coaching process and going on this journey over the last over the last kind of year, a little bit more than a year, mm-hmm. um, I suddenly realized, oh my goodness, there's, you know, these, pe- these, these wonderful, wonderful people have nobody to, nobody to speak for them. Mm-hmm. And I suppose, and to support them and to, to, to really challenge them on how they are, um, how they are supporting themselves and what are they doing intentionally every day. It's mm-hmm. not an absolutely utterly spent and I've nothing left in the tank. Um, I might book in and get a facial or I might get my hair blow dried. All lovely things. I love nothing more than that myself. But the little intentional daily habits that are just crucial 
and free. They're all free, Sandra. You don't need to spend money on them. You know, they're all free. So, <laughs> excuse me. They, those that, you know, that was, again, another epiphany of mine, that these are the people that I can support and I can connect with and bring people together through community and connection and really, um, really hone in on let's mind each other. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And I suppose you mentioned there that a lot of these things are free. And I suppose, what are the things that you use yourself or what are the things that you advise people to bring in as daily habits that you can use to, to kind of look after that, old, that side of things? So <clears throat> personally, I'll tell you, um, and this is my, my, I suppose, my third epiphany <laughs> was I had been walking on the beach. I, I'm, all, I'm, I'm from the country. I'm a farmer's daughter. I've always loved nature, always, 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 but particularly drawn to the water. As a child, I would, you know, go after the cows with my dad and be always drawn to the nearest river or stream and go paddling in it and whatever. So really drawn to water, I'm a Scorpio, a water sign, surprise, surprise. So anyway, I started <clears throat> around the time of that, you know, 2021, when my, when my, you know, it became very apparent to my son and I was, you know, going back to old habits and I was like, no, no more no more um i started to go walking on the beach and the sp- the sense of space and fresh air was just so nourishing for me and but i always looked into the sea and i was like oh god it would be just like, amazing to be able to get in there like to get in there mm-hmm. and you know there was the whole you know covid thing of like going you know sea swimming and people were kind of slagging it off the time and stuff like yeah. that but i was like no I, I want to do this and so on the 9th of january 2022 drove over to port marnock brought my togs with me, said nothing to nobody because I wasn't doing this whole, you know, announcement of I am now a sea swimmer, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I've done plenty of that since, my friends will tell you, but uh, what you call it, I brought over the togs and I just r- literally ran in, okay, and the way I, again, like that moment for, you know, the, the, the light bulb goes off over your head, it was like, got into the sea and it was the 9th of January, so, you know, pretty cold, and I remember just ducking down and screaming, but it was like that, um, you know, that procedure that some people have in hospital where it's like if they have a heart murmur or they have an irregular heartbeat where they stop the heart and they start it again. Mm -hmm. It's kind of shocked them. And that is that that's how I always compare it to. I got into the water and I literally my whole body went into shock. But it was like the biggest, the biggest reset. It was like I got into the water got shocked with by the cold, the cold water exposure and just came out and went, oh my God, where has this been all my life? Like, where is it? I just feel like a different person after it. So I do. And I suppose by start, then I started to incorporate that regularly. So completely free. Doesn't cost anything, only suppose the diesel to go over to the beach. Um, but, but I started incorporating that more and more. Like any off day I had, I started to go there, mostly to get into the sea, sometimes a walk, sometimes both. Then, you know, the connection happens, that beautiful connection happens, Sandra, where I started to like connect with other people, other like-minded people and align with them. And, you know, oh, I love going to the sea too. Would you like to meet over some morning there for a coffee? You know, and we'll go for a quick dip and have a coffee and a chat. And those chats that happen on the beach after a sea swim, when you're at your, you know, your purest, I suppose, you've just been into the, you know, your heart is so open. It comes from such a place of feeling. You have, you, you know, you don't just talk about, you know, than pennies this week you know kind of you know you don't just talk about that which you know is also very important but you know 
you, you talk about the real stuff and I am all about the real connection. You know, like give me, give me your pain, give me your fears. I am all about that. So I am. And as a coach, that's what I'm about, you know, digging down deep into the, your why, why you're here, you know, digging down deep into it and, and really figuring out what, what is it that's blocking you? What are your fears and limiting beliefs? What happened in your past that, that has, you know, in your conditioning that has that has brought you to this and that has maybe kept you stuck in certain patterns you know um and then the beauty of discussing that and really drawing it out of the person how how can we change this how can we remove this block and it is always so possible to remove this block and then you create this space you the, this space is just magically created to to bring in these habits, to bring in these wonderful self-care, self-love, change the story in your head. You know, we talk about like the brain, we're absolutely able to re rewire our brains. We mm. absolutely are. You yeah. know, we talk about like good habits and I'm paraphrasing wildly here. But I was speaking about this with a wonderful client yesterday morning where like it's, you know, a new habit. Within two weeks, you feel it. Within four weeks, you see it. And within eight weeks, it's just part of your life yeah, so it is it's just it, part yeah. of you're just living it and I would say sea swimming for me um was one of those things does that make sense it's just part mm. of me now so it is like and I don't get I don't live by the sea so I don't get to do it every single day but mm. I I know myself it's funny when I don't do it I feel the effects of it does that make sense it's when I it's yeah. taken away from me that's when I go no no I need to go back there now yeah it's amazing like, actually a lot of people on the podcast have said that the biggest thing that they notice is when they don't do their self-care is yeah, the effect exactly. that that house has. And exactly. isn't it interesting, actually, that you say, you know, you're at your freest after your sea swim and you have come from a place of resistance, as you said, and that really kind of being blocked from, you know, in being in that flow and being able to share and open up and everything. And now this has opened up a whole new world, I suppose, really for you. Exactly. And how coaching and really effective coaching can do that does that make sense mm. you know but yeah you, you and you're so right like I see myself up until kind of early tw late 2021 2022 like clenched like a, a fist like mm. completely clenched and and in that mindset of like you know it's so hard for me and it's not hard for everybody else and you know why is this happening to me in my life what have I done to deserve this? You know, all this, that kind of narrative, you know, that real mm -hmm. kind of dense energy, um, not, you know, just not like a victim mindset, I suppose, mm -hmm. for want of a better expression, you know? And uh, like now, like, and I'm not saying sea swimming has just opened that up. It's been an awful lot of, mm -hmm. you know, um, I suppose asking myself some some really challenging questions, um, being supported by a life coach, um, completely connecting with, so, you know some very real people that you know are are very willing to have those open conversations you know and share some of their experiences and then I you know the sharings this is the power of community you know mm -hmm. this is the power of community and I suppose this is the the impetus for my business and for my from for epiphany coaching is to enable the, the person to have that epiphany to you know open up and then to create the connection and create create the space you know, it's just, it is magic when it happens because then the flow comes, you know, then the, the we stop forcing things. We just stop forcing things and 
it is quite literally just let it go and let it happen. You know, let life happen. So it's like my son, he's autistic. I couldn't stop that. There was no way I could control that, you know, mm. but, you know, tapping into it and, and leaning into it and accepting it has been a, an absolute life changer. But you know what? Not just for me or for, you know, my husband, my family, for him as well. You know, that like he has an understanding um, will have an understanding of himself he absolutely does have an understanding of himself that he can be his whole self his whole self you know because mm-hmm. one thing that's very very present with autistic people is the concept of masking now we mm-hmm. all do it we all mask but the concept of masking in school if I do this then I will be accepted by my 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 peer group if I do this okay I can't stim in school because everyone thinks that's weird so I'll, I won't do that I'll save that for home so children are absolutely grand you know doing their they're, they're masking in school and then they come out of school energy completely depleted and that's when the you know the meltdowns happen. Over, overwhelmed yeah exactly okay. but to encourage and again this is where we're advocating for our children but to encourage our children our autistic children to just be their whole selves you know mm-hmm. but like you know you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea anyway so just yeah. let it flow and let it you know let it go you know and yeah. and that's and that's okay and i often say to my stu- to my children to the children in school that i work with you know i often say if you add and that's okay to the end of a sentence there's the self love there's the compassion you know mm. so you know like uh, you know like, you know one child could say you know like oh i'm not really that very good at sports and all my friends like to play up the field at lunchtime okay well i'm not really interested in sport and that's okay you know you know so the, the self-love the self-compassion language matters and this is another one that's completely free of charge as well how we speak mm-hmm. to ourselves and i say this to my children you know my own children and the children in school as well i say who do you speak to most in the whole world and they all go my mom my dad my nanny i go no who do you speak to most in the whole world and they finally you know they're either prompted or they get it myself and I was like, make it a good story. That's what I say. Who do you speak to most in the whole world? Make yourself. So make it a good story because language really matters because I spent years of my inner critics screaming at me. You're not doing it right. You're not perfect. Look at them. They don't think you're good enough. You know, oh, they just, oh, they were just saying it was good just to kind of, you know, because they have to be polite. But constantly saying these yeah. kind of things to myself, you know, but I never once validated myself and said, oh you you're doing a brilliant job look at what you're doing look at what you have done look at what you've overcome look you know all of these things even to say like I started back in the gym last year that was another thing that has become a kind of a a healthy happy habit for me Um, Mm -hmm. and it's not about it is not about aesthetics or weight loss or any of that kind of stuff it is it's it's mostly for regulation actually to be Mm -hmm. honest with you it's to get out of my head and into my body and to be in a in an environment for 45 minutes where I don't have to think the buzzer goes, you do this exercise, the buzzer goes, you do the next exercise. You don't have to think, you just have to do it. And you're in mm. your body, you're in your body moving. And it, like, for me, that's just magic. So it is. But when I went in there first, like, you know, lifting certain weights or lifting the bars and putting plates on the bars and all this kind of stuff, I just like talk myself around into it. And my two mantras were, I am capable, I am strong. I am capable, I am strong. And that every, every single morning going into a gym class, I would say that to myself. Mm. And I say it to my, literally, it comes to me now in the gym class. I, I don't even have to be intentional about it anymore. Mm. It's, it's wired into my brain that I am capable, I am strong. 
And I firmly believe that now. If I had said that three years ago, I'd be like, yeah, that's right, whatever. You know, mm. that's, I, I would have just resisted it immediately, you know? Yeah. yeah, and I think a lot of people resonate with that as well. It's the acceptance piece in particular, like how important that is like we all have this inner negative bias going on all the time and yeah. I think the inner critic is something that a lot of people deal with it's something that I dealt with kind of in an extreme um sense when I was going yeah. through anxiety yeah. panic attacks depression yeah that sort of thing and it can be overwhelming and it can really take over your life in the sense that it comes into everything you know you're hurting yourself for your parenting your work your home life everything you know and it's reframing it and like you said the power of language is so important so so important and I think as well you touched on something else there as well in the fact that it it not only affects you but it affects the people around you and it you know it has allowed your son to be his most I suppose true authentic self because there is acceptance around him and I think that that is true for so many people you know going through a lot of different things people who are going through you know neuro neurodiversion as you mentioned people going through mental illness this was the the narrative I had kind of told myself that oh people will people will think that I'm being silly or you know that I'm being a nuisance or that I'm you know I'm mad or, you yeah, know yeah. all these things go through your head that and inner critic was screaming at you so it was yeah, screaming exactly. at you but when you gave it a, you gave that a voice immediately the connection happened Absolutely. and the supports the supports came into play and you yeah. were met with compassion exactly you know, and which we're so often we're so guilty of not giving to ourselves but there's always a starting point Sandra of how we learn any skill do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And to yeah. be shown compassion in your most vulnerable moments, mm-hmm. um, you know, really supports us to to be more compassionate to ourselves. Does that make sense? You know, yeah. so oh, say like when you know when I'm coaching, that I would really model compassion for my clients and give them practical tools and strategies to be more compassionate to themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Um, you know, and like sometimes it seems like completely, you know, so far away. So I'll give you an example. Um, there was a girl, there's a, there's a client that I'm working with at the moment and I've been working her, with her for the past few months. And so at the very beginning, like it was so obvious that, you know, she was really struggling with that self-compassion piece. And I asked her, like, have you ever, you know, spoken nicely to yourself? And what, you know, if, if you would speak nicely to yourself, what could you say? Not a clue, not like, she was like, I don't know. I don't know what. What, what you mean we moved on then when we got some of the language would you ever think about saying it into the mirror you know god that'd be absolutely ridiculous you know would you ever think about saying you know you know i look lovely today or you know i am capable i am strong i am amazing i am kind but you know nice affirmations into the mirror mm-hmm. and yesterday yesterday sorry the day before when we were working together um she said to me you know we, we did a little comparison on you know the, the very beginning of our work and now and she said you know she said I knew it all on an objective level so this but she said I never felt it mm. so you know phrases are bandied about the whole time like happy mammy happy child uh you can't pour from an empty cup you know mothers and fathers and parents need to you know really need to look after themselves um I, I was also told once by a doctor to um, avoid stress <laughs> Like, you know, I, I shouldn't have laugh, a lot of, I have a lot of <laughs> colourful language that I would have loved to have used back to him. You know, some ridiculous stuff like that. So, so, like, 
it's all up here on a kind of an objective academic level we know we know that that all makes sense that makes logical sense you know you can't pour from an empty cup you know happy mommy happy child um you know take it put your own oxygen mask on first all of those kind of phrases but do we feel it so mm. she said to me she said i knew all of this on an objective level but i didn't feel it but she said now i do mm. and she said sometimes it's hard to say it but i write it now so she had incorporated this happy habit into her life of was still a little bit hard to say it just yet into a mirror, but she's able to write it. And so she writes three nice things about herself every single day. And that is, that's life changing, like groundbreaking mm. from somebody who just went, I don't know what you mean. I don't know what kind of nice words I could say about myself. She's finding three things every day that's nice about herself. Mm. You know, so this is what, these are all the free things I'm talking about. They don't cost a thing. They don't cost they cost nothing, only a tiny little bit of your time and yeah. intention. You know, when the intention is there, we will make the time, you know. So it could be just hopping into bed at night, writing it down. It could be first thing in the morning. It could be when you're having your coffee, when the kids go to school. It could be on your lunch break. It could be when you're sitting down chatting your husband at night, whatever it is. You know, these are the, the little things. My friend, my good friend talks about She's also an autism mum, but she always uses the language of honouring herself. And I just think that's so beautiful, honouring yourself. You know, that I just think that's such beautiful language to use about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you, you touched on it there as well, like with the self-compassion piece, when I think when that comes into your life and it's something that I had to do a lot of work on um, as well. <clears throat> so I did a lot of work on it kind of around this time last year. Um, mm -hmm. Because it was something, again, like that, it was objectively, I knew it was important mm -hmm. and I would be very compassionate with other people, but it was just the self-compassion piece. And I think when that kind of comes into your life, it makes things a lot easier as well. It can actually make everything a lot easier because, you know, it can help with the inner critic piece as well. Sure. You know, you know, oh, the, fact sure. that, the fact that you can now go, well, actually, I'm, I'm doing the best that I can, you know, doing the best that I can. What a lovely line to say to yourself, like so no. caring and compassionate. Good enough is good enough. You know, I'm doing exactly. the best that I can. Yeah, because I think with the inner critic, a lot of the time, it's very kind of like you're not good enough. Oh, you're not yeah. doing a good enough job. You're not good enough at whatever it is yeah. that's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And being able to just reframe it and going, but I'm doing the best that I can. Do you have a name for your inner critic? Um, no, but it's it's a jack in the box. <laughs> a jack in the box. Oh, brilliant! Oh. <laughs> Even have a picture of it. Mine's yeah. called Mildred. She's oh. an absolute wagon. Like like just you know you just have that like Mildred kind of you know image yeah. in your head. You know just not a very nice person. And yet I have this other like soulful, more intuitive, gentle voice within myself. And you know it's so funny. I still haven't gotten to name her yet, but I but I will. I just haven't haven't found the name for her yet, but. Yeah. I am well able now to tell Mildred to get lost, you know, and maybe your jack in the box can be, you can shut, physically, yeah, physically the close the lid on them. You know, that's amazing. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. That I, powerful. I did that kind of visualization work with a, um, a, a counselor actually with, mm -hmm. uh, with regards to my inner critic, because obviously when I was going through the, the anxiety, the depressive episodes, that was something that I really struggled with. I, like I'd be yeah. generally quite hard on myself anyway. I kind of always was, you know, growing up and everything. Yeah. But like it kind of got to an extreme level where it was just the inner critic yeah. all of the time. Oh, I can relate to that so much. And I can relate to that as well. I grew up in a very um 
emotionally unstable environment. So mm -hmm. much of my childhood was very stable, but I, the emotion piece of it, I never knew on any given day what way my, my parents emotionally were going to be. Were they going to be very stressed, very shouty? Were they going to be happy? Were they going to be stressed? So I learned to read a room very, very quickly mm -hmm. and then adapt from a very young age and then adapt myself to what I should be. So all mm -hmm. the time hiding my, making myself invisible, hide, making myself small, hiding yeah. my true authentic self. Yeah. Um, so I can really relate to what you say there that like your conditioning really contributed to your inner critic so anytime mm -hmm. I would show myself off it'd just be like oh no 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 pull back I actually used to have a phrase yeah. that would say too much am too much am come back you know why, why shouldn't there be too much am loads of am you know yeah. loads of Sandra take up all the space because we are you know entitled to that and we have yeah. important messages to get out there have you ever read the book um becoming your own north star by Martha Beck no, I haven't actually. Oh, so it's so interesting. So she talks about very briefly. She talks about um being your essential self, <clears throat> excuse me, and your authentic self. So your essential self is, you know, what society expects you to be. You know, get the, you know, go to school, get the job, get married, get the house, get the, you know, get the children, get the puppy, get the whole lot, and yeah. you know, really mold yourself, you know, squeeze yourself into that mold. You mm -hmm. know, so everything I was doing up until kind of late 2021 where I was just pushing myself down into this mold of the wife the teacher the mother the you know the, you know the mainstream life and practical mm -hmm. and full of common sense you just get on with it that's just life you just get on with it but all the while like my true authentic self which is a, such a softer um huge I'm a huge empath like I really mm -hmm. feel everything from people um so empathetic uh, you know, a feeling side of me that was desperate to connect with people and to speak my truth. Mm -hmm. That's my authentic self, you know, and, uh, you know, just to make myself visible, literally throw off that invisibility cloak and speak my truth. And yeah. I firmly believe that, you know, like I've always wanted to help people. That's another thing. I mean, I'm feeling you can resonate with this where, you know, that person where you're giving, giving, giving to everybody all the time, you know, like being the great friend, the you know, the, the, the great people mother, pleaser. giving your people pleaser, giving your energy to everybody. And because I have that very like empathetic energy about me, I would be just like, oh, well, she needs that. So I'll, you know, I'll take her kids for the day. Barely have to cope with my own kids. Like, you know, barely have the energy for my own. But I take three more on, you know, I'm the one that brings everybody for lifts. I'm the one that feeds people. I'm the one that's constantly organizing fun activities. Stop, just, just mm -hmm. slow it down, you know, stop giving, give it all to myself, give myself the self-love because I'm worth it too. Mm -hmm. So that was a further epiphany for me as well, you know, really give my love to myself because yeah. I'm worth it as well, yeah. you know, and because I suppose I didn't learn that from a young age, you know, I didn't, that was never modeled to me and it was never spoken to me. It was never, I was never encouraged to do that. You know, I've, I've had to learn it, but I firmly believe better late than never, Sandra. And that has been, you know, a huge, huge, that's been transformative in my well-being and my mental health. Um, and I suppose the last thing you've talked about, like things for free, the last thing that I would make that is something in my daily routine is gratitude. And, I, and I, I've heard, you know, I've heard other people on your podcast talking about gratitude. Like it is, it is literally a game changing practice. Would you agree with me? Absolutely. Yeah. Like. Mm -hmm. It's something that I was, I know I spoke about this on another episode, but um, it's something that was introduced to me by a counsellor 
again when I was really in the depths of, of yeah. kind of mm-hmm. everything and I remember her saying to me right I want you to write down three things you're grateful for in a day and then one good thing that happened in the day and I I remember being like three things I'm grateful for and, and I was like, and also there's nothing good. You don't good see happening. me, I'm having panic attacks left yeah. right in time for what can I be grateful for? Yeah. And I was like, and also there's nothing good happening. <laughs> you know, very much. Zero very good in my life. life. No. <laughs> because that's the mindset we're in. So it yeah. has to be literally, you think of that, you know, stop the heart and start it again, that shock. It has yeah. to be reprogrammed, you know? But, but actually when I started thinking about it, you know, like at the start, it was the very, you know, kind of obvious things. I am grateful for my kids. I'm grateful for having a roof over my head. I'm grateful for... Being, living close to the beach and being able to go for a walk and then it became kind of because I was identifying those as the things I was grateful for I was you know started to think about other things and then it kind of just becomes something that you're already you're kind of on, almost looking out for stuff absolutely you know? I totally, becomes totally that's like oh geez I'm actually I am actually grateful for that there now like absolutely like it's funny we, we are staying in our friend's house this week um and you know reminding a lot of animals a lot of animals but they're they're gorgeous like they're absolutely beautiful but like I actually said to my husband the other night I was like I'm so grateful for this this is just fabulous the space the fresh air to be able to like really notice the animals and like notice their little habits and their little you know their little quirkiness and like the crack that we're getting out of them whereas maybe a couple of years ago I would have seen that as like hard work and stress like come on get it done get it done but I'm actually taking the time to like step back and notice that now and say oh well I'm actually really grateful for this like you know and and actually we, we this is in the last few months now we've been trying to really intentionally practice gratitude with our children mm-hmm. and so our youngest son is like our energizer bunny doesn't stop every house has one um and we you know to get him to sit and to practice if I said to him like oh we're sitting to practice some gratitude now he'd just be oh gone <laughs> but what we have said is and he's six and a half like but uh which call it we've what we say is we call it taking our brain to the gym that's what we call it okay so it's a game so they sit down and some nights they're able for one thing to say one thing you know I'm grateful I'm grateful for my holiday I'm grateful for my teddy I'm grateful for you know I'm grateful we had a play date today or I'm grateful that we you know got to go on our tablets today or you know little things like that um and then some days they're grateful for so much they'd be like little Mm -hmm. shouting shouting over each other you know and the energy just completely changes after we've practiced that does that make sense you know now please don't get me wrong I'm not painting this idyllic picture of five people around sitting around cross-legged at night practicing gratitude <laughs> handled lit instead of burning it's oh not like that at all it could be they could be running around me do you know they you yeah. know it's it's not there's no there's no everybody sit down now because we're going to do it it's kind of on the hop ad hoc but it's going in and it's being modeled for them and hopefully their brains are being wired towards you know happy habits rather than as my daughter calls it being stuck in the negative fishbowl she calls it that being stuck in the negative fishbowl which I think is yeah so do I (laughs) um so we were like let's get out of the negative fishbowl let's take our brain to the gym we say that sometimes you know so um and I I just think the younger it can happen because look at I'm nearly 40 years of age and I'm learning all this stuff now you know you've been through really really challenging times and really really hard times in the last couple of years you know if we could possibly save our children from that level of anxiety and that level of, you know, the inner critic shouting at them and condition them and educate them and model them, model for them some of these little practices, mm-hmm. the hope would be there that it would be ingrained into them, wouldn't it? 
Absolutely. And so I what another, you know, what another way to like, you know, when I'm when I'm talking with parents of autism, of autistic children that like, you know, that they're modeling it, you know, by yes, yes, they're advocating for themselves and caring for themselves, but they're modeling it for their children. So, you know, empowering their children to be their whole selves, to unmask, to let that authentic self out and to practice happy habits as well. Absolutely. And I was just going to say there, it's so important for all of us to do that, to be able to just take off whatever mask we're wearing, just be our authentic selves and come out of the negative fishbowl. Yeah, (laughs) come out of the negative fishbowl. I love it. Um, And that's actually a lovely point at which to end our conversation today. I hope everybody comes out of their negative fishbowl. Yes, come out of your negative fishbowl and be your whole self. Absolutely, 100%. Um, thank you so much. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Epiphany Coaching if anybody wants to click follow. Um, and uh, thank you so much for having me, Sandra. I have loved every second of this conversation. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining thank me. Anne. No problem at all. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Mind Your Mind podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, rate, review or follow. It really does help with getting the podcast out there. You can follow us on Instagram at mindyourmindpod for extra content and some behind the scenes action. Talk to you next week and in the meantime, don't forget to mind your mind.